Good morning again. A couple of disclaimers. I'm struggling with a cold, so bear with me this morning as we walk through this. This is the fifth and final Sunday of the sermon series, Can You Hear Me Now? We've talked about the different things that get in the way of us hearing God's voice as God would speak to us. All the confusion and chaos around us, and it's sometimes difficult to filter through what God is really saying. Today's subtitle is Failure is Not an Option. Now, day to day, we don't necessarily feel that we're on the precipice of failing, but in fact, we may be in many areas, in relationships and circumstances that cover us. Let me show you a picture of a man who believed failure was not an option. This is Michael Packard, and last year he was scuba diving off of Cape Cod, about 35 feet deep, close to the bottom, and all of a sudden he feels this huge bump and pressure and darkness consumes him. And he realizes after he feels around in a, in a, in a, for a minute that he's not in the mouth of a shark, but of a great whale. He's in the mouth of that whale, and he feels water rushing by, and he's moving at, the, at rapid speed, and he's pounding, and he's, he's kicking, and he's punching, and doing everything he can. And suddenly the whale spits him out of his mouth, and he comes flying up. The, the captain on, those, on the surface boat says he looked like a rocket ship had thrown him up out of the water. Well, needless to say, Michael Packard didn't think failure was an option at that moment. He was willing to do whatever he needed to do to survive. On April the 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 was launch, launched by, uh, at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. You may remember that 55 hours into the mission, oxygen tank explodes and caused some damage to the, the spacecraft. We remember the phrase, Houston, we've had a problem. Well, let's pick up with a video clip from Apollo 13. So you're 13. telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. Whoa, whoa, guys, power is everything. Power is everything. What do you mean? Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. I, we got to turn everything off. Now. They're not going to make it to re-entry. What do you mean, everything? With everything on, the LEM draws 60 amps. At that rate, in 16 hours, the batteries are dead, not 45. And so is the crew. We got to get them down to 12 amps. How many? You can't run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps, John. We have to turn off the radars, cabin heater, instrument displays, the guidance computer, the whole smack. Whoa, guidance computer? What if they need to do another burn? Gene, they won't even know which way they're pointed. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they waste up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. That's the deal? That's the deal. Okay, John. Minute we finish the burn, we'll power down the limb. All right. Now, in the meantime, we're going to have a frozen command module up there. In a couple days, we're going to have to power it up, use nothing but the reentry batteries. Yeah, we've been tried before. We've never even simulated it before, Gene. Well, we're going to have to figure it out. I want people in our simulators working reentry scenarios. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy in the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these machines. I want this mark 
all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. Let's look at the definitions of failure. Failure is the lack of success, the omission of an expected outcome. Think about that for a moment. And when we've tried different things, when we've focused on certain efforts in our lives and we've failed, we know what lack of success feels like and we've experienced it. Also, failure is not an option. We're not choosing failure. Options are those choices that we can make, those choices that we can, can elect to, to buy into in order to miss out, in order to avoid the failure. At the end of the day, everything possible is an option. Everything that is possible is an option to choose. Now, sometimes it does feel like we've run out of options, doesn't it? We can't see any light in the midst of the darkness. When facing failure, conventional methods aren't always successful. The way we've been doing life may have led us into this failure, facing this failure that we're looking at. The, condition, the conventional methods and, and probably uh, the, the processes that we've used aren't going to get us out of that. So we need to look for other ways to circumvent this failure. We have, to we have to communicate with others. We have to focus. We have to commit. We have to commit to the task at hand. Think about the, the engineer who came. By the way, Gene Krantz was 37 when he was commanding mission control. 37 years old. And this engineer comes and says, this is what we have to do. This is our only option. They committed, they focused, and they acted. I read an article about this whole experience, and someone asked Gene Krantz, said, didn't everything just go chaotic? Weren't people just scrambling around and going crazy? He said, no, you don't understand. We're engineers. We focused in on what we had to do. There was no chaos at all. We got to the drawing board, and we started planning and executing. There was no chaos at all because they were conditioned to be engineers. They were conditioned to problem solve and come for solutions. And they knew that they had to use their available resources. Addressing failure requires preparation and commitment. And we know that reality is the benchmark. On that little whiteboard that Gene Krantz was drawing on, it was clear that this was the reality they were looking at. They could say, well, I wish it wasn't that way, or I'm not so sure. All the data was in front of them. And there are times in our lives when we're facing failure, but we're not quite clear that this is really the reality. Someone says, you know, our, our relationship is, is really, uh, really going downward. Well, I don't know. I'm not really sure about that. Someone says, well, you know, your friends are, are concerned about you and, and they're worried about you. Well, I'm okay. You know, we sort of sidestep being on the fault line of failure. We need to accept that reality so that we can find a solution, so that we can engineer our way out of that failure. Achieving success, not accepting failure, requires three things. Calculations. They did all the calculations and understood what could possibly happen 
on the way back and, and the minimum that was needed uh, in order to get back, and they were able to, to condition things that way. We have to do personal calculations in our lives at times. We have to understand the, the starting point, what's the benchmark, what is where we are, what is the reality of where we are, and then we have to calculate how we can move out of this. What are the components that are needed for us to escape this condition? Where can we go to get resources and help? How can we reach others with the message of Christ? We have calculations that need to be involved, and we have planning that needs to take place. You know, the question was put in that interview to Gene Kranz, as I said, wasn't there a lot of chaos going on? No, no, no. We had a lot of planning to do. We had planning at our fingertips that we had to get involved in. We had to dig deep to figure out how we could do this. They had to be intentional, not just letting life happen. You ever feel like that, that you just let life happen? You get up in the morning, you shower, you brush your teeth, you have a little breakfast, you go to work, you come home, maybe you have a little dinner, perhaps you watch a little TV and eventually you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you shower, you brush your teeth, life just goes on and on. Life just happens around you. But that's not the way we move beyond failure. We move beyond failure by being intentional with planning. And we do it with preparation. Do we have the skills required to move ourselves off of that fault line of failure? If not, where can we get those resources? Is there a person or a group of people that, that we can come to, that we can share, that we can engage with, that will help us move beyond this certain circumstance? Where can we get support? You know, the big problem for Apollo 13 was the CO2 scrubber that was damaged. It was not working. And they looked at all of the things that they had on board that were available to them, and they came up with a long list of, of materials that they could use to, to uh, redo that CO2 scrubber. They came up with a, a, a red towel that they knew they had on board. They had some wiring. They had some different things they could take from different components. But the one thing they had on that spacecraft that was used in eight of the 19 steps to reconfigure that CO2 scrubber was duct tape. Duct tape does everything. What is the duct tape of our Christian lives? It's that, it's that embracing of others. It's that engagement with others. It's that relationship of love. So we understand that we're often at the, at the mercy of circumstances. We're often facing failure. But what is the mission itself? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, observe, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, the Greek word that is translated go actually means as you are going. So we could, in, we could read this phrase, therefore, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going about your life, make disciples, engage people, share the gospel. And he says, share the gospel with all nations. 
The word that is translated nations is ethne, E-T-H-N-E, which is where we get the word ethnic. So in reality, the phrase could be translated this way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples of all, all races and types of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, when we reach out beyond ourselves to all races, to all types of people, the mission is for us to be reflective as individual believers, to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. But Jesus didn't stop there. And the Great Commission wasn't all of it. He goes on and says in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, and love yourself. You know, the church is not separate from believers. Believers are the church. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, as the Bible tells us. And we are the ones to love God, love others, and love ourselves. Well, as we move on to this rescue mission, this where lives are literally at stake around us. People are, people are dying all around us, not physically, but people are dying day by day from emotional and spiritual death. They're dying day by day, struggling to survive the battlefield of life. They're struggling from wounded hearts, shattered dreams, broken relationships, and the crater of debt and poverty. The greatest commandment is love. Love others. Our mission is to share love. Bubba. Sorry about that. A little got ahead of myself. Our mission is to share love that heals and hopes and comforts. Move forward to another slide. There we go. Love that heals and hopes, comforts, affirms, and reveals. Jesus Christ. That's the love that we share. That's our mission is to bring wholeness to a broken and fragmented neighbor, co-worker, or friend, or spouse. From spiritual poverty to an abundant life. From isolation to community. Billie Jean King said this in an interview, I, don't, I didn't realize the need for inclusion until I was excluded. In 1972, she met with the head of the U.S. Open Tennis Championship, and she demanded equal prize money for women. It was about four to one, the prize money that men got and the women got. A four to one ratio. And she had one sponsor, <clears throat> Bristol Myers, who had committed $55,000 to add into the pot to make the prize money equal to the men. And she said, we'll show up this year, but in 1973, if the prize money isn't equal, we're not showing up. So she realized that she was being excluded. She had been excluded from the same prize money. She had been excluded to the same respect that the men were getting in tennis, and they took, stood their ground. Our world, our families, our marriages, our schools and communities need CO2 scrubbers. 
They need the spiritual oxygen. They need rescuers and reclaimers. We need that kind of experience. We go back to this slide from with uh, Tom, Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Bubba. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure that he was okay. On my way back to find Bubba, well, that was this boy laying on the ground. Tex. Okay. I couldn't just let him lay there all alone and scared the way he was. So I grabbed him up and run him out of there. time I went back looking for Bubba, somebody else was saying, help me, Forrest, help me. I started to get scared that I might never find Bubba. I know my position is danger close. We got Charlie all over this area. I gotta have those fast movers in here now. Over. Strong arm. We want yeah. to Lieutenant Dagholm is dead. I know he's dead. And he's all platoon is wiped out. Quickly, quickly. Copy this. What are you doing? Just leave me here. Get away. Just leave me here. Get out. Strong arm. Out. God, I said leave me here. Then it felt like something just jumped up and bit me. Inbound right now, they're gonna nade the whole area. Don't you stay here? That's an order. I gotta find Bubba. <laughs> gotta find Bubba. People are dying all around us. People are at the risk of being lost in the jungle of despair and hopelessness. We are the rescuers. We're the ones who can reclaim people for the kingdom of God. Back in 1973, between my senior year in high school and going off to college. My father was working at Texas Instruments. And he joined them in the early 60s, and it was not long after the silicon chip had been invented. And he met with the founders of Texas Instruments for coffee every morning, and they talked and they shared. And he, he rose up through the ranks at Texas Instruments to a chief marketing officer, but he was prevented from achieving certain levels of executive level because he didn't have a college degree. But he rose up through the ranks, and during that year, he had 
figured out that many of the silicon wafers the, that were cut into chips were being reset, were being sent back to Texas Instruments because there was a flaw. The quality control hadn't caught that. Let me show you this. This is the top of a six foot rod, six and a half inches in diameter. This is silicon that we make microchips out of. And they would, they would put chemicals in the bottom of this six foot chamber cil cylinder, and then they would seed it with raw silicon and it would grow over time to a six-foot rod and they would cut off the top. Then they sliced that six-foot rod a millionth of an inch thick. This is six and a half inches in diameter. When my father started working there, the largest was two inches in diameter. They got bigger and bigger and they're certainly bigger now than they've ever been. So they get thousands of microchips off of this. And they would put the electrical pattern onto the silicon wafer, millionth of an inch thick, polished up, and sent off. When the customers would send them back, they were just stored in a storage room because there was nothing they could do with them. And so they began to think about, could we reclaim that silicon? Could we reclaim those? And they would, they analyzed, they looked at it, the engineers talked about it. My dad finally came up with a process that I implemented that summer while I was working there. We would take the, the silicon wafers, the the wafers and we put them in little slotted uh, slotted containers and I would dip them into hydrochloric acid and then into a water bath hydrochloric acid several other things and eventually all of that electrical pattern was wiped off that that slice and it could be reused for new now when silicon was very expensive that was a great opportunity to have a return on investment and do that there are people in even our own lives that need to be reclaimed. We need to wipe the slate clean. We need to wipe off that old pattern that's been there. We need to rescue people. We need to reclaim them. We need to be the source of that reclamation and that rescue for others. Imagine God saying to us this morning, can you hear me now? I need believers who will help others move from brokenness to wholeness. Will you be one of them? Amen.